You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. So if I'm a little distracted this morning, you know why. And it's okay for you to be distracted this morning. Because one of the things I love about this God and his word is that he never tells us to pretend that things are better than they are. When we grieve, we grieve. When we hurt, it's okay to hurt. When we're in shock, it's okay to be in shock. But I have to believe that God being who he is has prepared his word for us with these things in mind. And the things we're gonna talk about this morning I think are more relevant and more necessary and more impactful for us to hear than than ever before. Because we are going to be talking about the reality of, of worship as we enter the Christmas story once again here this morning. And when we hear the word worship, I don't know about you, but when I hear that word, I th- so many things cascade through my mind. And honestly, one of the things I think about when I'm really thinking about the heart of worship and the necessity of us understanding and owning the object of our worship, what is it that we truly worship? This, this story that I heard many years ago comes to mind. It's a true story. It's about a man who um, was out golfing. And for those of you who, who golf, you know that golf very much can be a worship experience. I mean, you're out on the, you're out on the fairways and not necessarily in how your game is going and when you're losing balls and hitting sand traps and water traps and what have you, but you're out on the fairway, it's early in the morning, there's birds, it's beautiful, it's serene, it's peaceful. It's just, it's, it's a worship experience and that's what this guy was experiencing. He was out golfing this one day and as he got out of his golf cart, he stepped on the pedal to set the brake and somehow he missed it and then somehow, they still don't know how this happened, but the, but the but the accelerator pedal hit the floor, and so as he got out, the golf cart took off. And so he started running after this golf cart, and it just so happened that he was golfing on this elevated tee, this elevated um, hole, really, and the golf cart went towards this embankment, and he's running after it, and the, um, the cart actually goes over this steep embankment. It, it goes over the edge, and he follows it. And he suffered a broken pelvis, and broke both of his legs. And so as they're talking to this guy and asking him why in the world did you run over this embankment? Why would you follow a golf cart to this fall? And he says, well, it's because I had my new golf clubs on the back. (laughs) Yeah, you're entitled to laugh and entitled to go, what? Because sometimes it's very easy to see misplaced Values, or to put it another way, to see misplaced worship. The object of our worship matters. And the issue isn't whether you or I worship. That is, that's not even the issue because the reality is every single person worships something or someone. We are hardwired to worship. Something gets our loyalty, our values, our affection, our resources. Sometimes it's many things, but at the end of the day, it really comes down to are we worshiping ourselves or are we worshiping God? And we are hardwired and plumbed, really, to worship God. But because of the reality of sin and brokenness and selfishness, evidenced by death in our world, evidenced by brokenness in our world, evidenced by misplaced priorities and values, 
it shows us that sometimes we are guilty of worshiping those things that are broken and those things that ultimately will let us down. They will not give us what we're looking for. So the object of our worship matters. And if we were to define worship this morning, this is one of the ways we could do it. It is responding to God for who he is, what he's done, what he will do by declaring his great value and worth in our adoration and action as we participate in his mission and triune life. That is a, is a pretty comprehensive definition of worship is, and that has many different looks. Because it isn't just about our object of worship, it's about also how we worship. And so many times we think worship is singing, and it is, or it can be, but it's not the only way we worship. We have an expression of art here that Janine is doing on our behalf. This is an act of worship on her part. This is an expression of of worship. And my friends, doing business authentically with the reality that we're dealing with the loss this morning of people we love and the shock and grief that comes with that, that in itself can be an act of worship. And so more than ever, it's fundamental that we understand what worship is. And as we enter the Christmas story this morning, Mary and Elizabeth are gonna model to us what worship is about, at least in part. And I have to believe that this is a necessary word for us to hear even this morning. And so we're gonna jump back to where we were last week because really you need to understand the flow of the story if you weren't with us last week to appreciate what we're gonna see today. So we will jump back to Luke chapter one, which we visited last week, starting in verse 34, and then we'll roll into the passage that connects to this. So here we go. Gabriel appears to Mary. Gabriel the angel and says, she is going to give birth to Jesus. And Mary says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail Or another way that can be translated is nothing is impossible with God. Mary says, I am the Lord's servant, which is a remarkable response that we looked at last week. She goes on to say, may your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. And now we pick up where we're headed today. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's house and and greeted, greeted them. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and in a loud voice she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And worship at its heart trusts the word of God. And we see that happening here. Gabriel appears to Mary and he all but tells her to go see Elizabeth. He doesn't command her to, but it's not coincidence that he says, hey, nothing's impossible with God. Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a baby too. And so 
Mary responds, and necessarily so, because as we entered this story last week, Mary is now in crisis. What this angel has introduced into her life is really a crisis for her personally, because in that culture, in this honor-shame culture, people would automatically assume that Mary had been unfaithful to Joseph and had had sex with someone other than he who was pledged to be her husband, or they would assume that she and Joseph had had sex together before they were fully married. Either way, it would bring shame upon her, upon her family, upon her, cult- upon her community, and in that culture, what kept you up at night was the fear of doing exactly that. And so we enter this story and we very reasonably ask, who's gonna believe her? How well would that go over today? If a young woman said to one of us, yeah, God made me pregnant. Seriously? None of us would believe that. How do you think people are gonna believe that with Mary? Especially in this culture. Of course they're not gonna believe her. So who in the world would give her a fair hearing and even believe her? I believe there's one person at this point who will. And who is it? It's Elizabeth. Because God has done the impossible for both of them. As I understand it, we're never told how Elizabeth is. We're just told she's, she's elderly, she's old. Impossible for an old woman to have a baby, right? I did a little research on this because I just, I had to ask the question and I went to the authority and source, Google, and I Googled who is the oldest woman who's ever become a mother. In 2008, a 70-year-old woman, 70 years old, gave birth to twins by C-section in India. But that was through some help, some artificial insemination. So the oldest person who has had a baby, who has birthed a baby naturally in every way, and we'll just leave it at that, is a woman who's 58 years old. So how old was Elizabeth? We don't know, but she was, she was elderly. And this is impossible, right? But here she is, she's having a baby. So who is gonna believe the woman who says that God made her pregnant? Another woman who God has done the impossible for as well. And my friends, the reality that I, I, I've realized as I've, as I've done business with this passage is just what we're talking about here is that you and I are hardwired if we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We are primed, we are prepared to believe God for the impossible. You know why? Because he's done the impossible. He has done something for you and me that we cannot do for ourselves. He has saved us. He has saved us from a life of brokenness and selfishness and sinfulness. And we live in a world that mistakenly believes that if you just subscribed to religion, if you just subscribed to ritual, if you just subscribed to rules, if you just subscribed to being a good person and trying harder, that is what's going to save you from your selfishness and your sin. 
and this bentness that lives in all of us to promote ourselves, to take advantage of other people, and what have you. And the reality is none of those things are gonna save you and me. Only right relationship with Jesus Christ by receiving him into our lives as our Lord and Savior is what saves us from our sin and our brokenness. So once again, if you have received Jesus into your life, you know what it is for God to do the impossible. You are uniquely prepared to believe that God can do the impossible because he has, if he has saved you, if he is your Lord and Savior. So let's go there. What is the impossible thing that you need God to do in your life this morning? What is that impossible thing that you've been hoping for, that you've been waiting for? Because ironically, especially with how we live in our culture and how we are programmed to think and influenced to think, waiting can also be an act of worship. And that's so counterintuitive for us because we are told, we are taught, we are conditioned constantly to see waiting as a waste of time or doing nothing. It is something to be avoided at all costs. And yet, my friends, you're already uniquely hardwired to do this as well if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior because what are we doing right now? We're waiting. Do you remember what Matthew 24 and 25 said as we finished out that Matthew series? And it's said in many other places as well. What are we supposed to be doing right now until Jesus comes back a second and final time to fully bring his kingdom, to put an end to death, to put an end to loss, to put an end to disease, to put an end ultimately to all sin? We wait. But we don't just do nothing. We wait with purpose and intentionality. We roll up our sleeves and we reach out into the community in the name of Jesus Christ through things like Advent Conspiracy. We wait, we watch, we pray, we preach on with word and deed. That is what we do as we wait. And I would submit to you that is not wasting time, that is not doing nothing, that is very purposeful and intentional and worshipful. And we see this with Mary and Elizabeth. They and the people have been waiting for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years for the one who would come in the spirit of Elijah to usher in and announce the coming of the Messiah. And that's who Elizabeth is pregnant with, is John the Baptist, who would come in the spirit of Elijah. And Mary, Mary is pregnant with the Son of God, with Jesus, the promised Messiah, who, who the people have been waiting for for thousands of years. Waiting, 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 and then it happens. And both of them, to their credit, respond to what God is doing. So Luke chapter one, verses 41 through 45, look once again at what happens here. Look how Mary responds and Elizabeth responds. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaims, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped 
for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Now I look at this and I see this incredible reality that they're both responding to the work of God. Mary, by example, Gabriel speaks and Mary goes. She goes to see Elizabeth. She responds to what Gabriel has has told her. But there are so many questions that I have as I look at what we just read and even this story. For starters, who was Elizabeth? Was she Mary's aunt? Was she a cousin? And the reality is we don't definitively know. We just know she was a relative. And where exactly did Mary go? It does not tell us the city that she went to in a way that we can locate it today. She went to the region of Judea. We can do some reasonable geography and some calculations. She traveled somewhere between 80 to 100 miles, which was no small feat, for her to go visit Elizabeth. And here's a question for you. How does Elizabeth know that Mary's pregnant? Is she showing? From how the story is told to us, Mary most likely is not showing. She, she left pretty quickly once the angel told her she was, she was pregnant. And this is another piece. Why is Elizabeth praising her? Because in an ancient Near Eastern culture, the younger always praised the older. Never would the older praise the younger, but that's exactly what's, what's happening. And it's not just what Elizabeth said, it's how she said it. My friends, this is actually a song. This is actually poetry. This is the first of five songs we see in the Christmas story, and Elizabeth sings the first one. She's shouting, to be sure, but she's also singing, and she declares that Mary is the most blessed of all women. One of our kids, who will go nameless so I don't embarrass them, when they were little, they wanted to praise their mom, and they wanted to just, they loved their mom, they wanted to encourage Jamie, and so this child would say, you're the woman. And it was so cute coming from this little kid. Mom, you're the woman. You're the woman. And that's basically what Elizabeth is saying here. But it goes far deeper than that. And look not at just how she says, but what she is saying once again. She says, the Lord sent Mary. And here it comes. And the Lord is in Mary We see the triune God in this passage, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I don't think I've ever seen that before I studied it this week. God is is here. And here's another question for you. How does Elizabeth know that? How does she know that the Lord sent Mary, and by the way, the Lord is also in Mary? This one we know the answer to. The Holy Spirit told her. Look look what it says here. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. God revealed this to her. And one of the realities of worship is that we need to welcome the Spirit of God. If you have Jesus Christ, you have the Spirit of God. Of God. And sometimes we think, oh, I need to use the Holy Spirit in my daily life. I I don't think it's as much about that as it is do we allow, allow the Holy Spirit to use us? Because He is the very power and presence of God. 
Paul, in writing to Timothy, in 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God did not give us a spirit of timidity. In other translations, it says, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. My friends, we live in a culture that is seeped in fear, and we do not have to live that way. God did not give us a spirit of fear. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 3 goes on to say his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. That's talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us recognize and understand the work and word of God. And he, yes, works in the extraordinary but most often he's working in the ordinary and we see both in this story. It tells us that John the Baptist in utero leaps for joy when Jesus comes near him inside Mary. That's, that's amazing. That Elizabeth would know that the Lord sent Mary and that the Lord is actually in Mary. That is amazing, clearly works of the Holy Spirit, but one of the realities we'll look at, and Sean will help us see this reality next week, when we progress further into the Christmas story and we see the response of the shepherds to the birth of Jesus. Most of this story is about ordinary people doing ordinary things, and we have to remember and see that. Do you realize in the heart of the Christmas story that Mary gets an angel, Joseph gets an angel, the shepherds get to see the angels, hear the angels singing, and everybody else in the Christmas story gets a shepherd? That's how they figure out and find out about the birth of Jesus. A shepherd? And again, I don't want to steal Sean's thunder. I know he'll go into some of this next week, but a shepherd? These itinerant, nomadic, traveling herdsmen who no one trusted, who were stinky and smelly, and everybody kind of looked at as like, nah, they're a little off. These are the very agents that God uses on that first Christmas morning to tell everybody else about Jesus. Marry an angel and the shepherds get an angel, everybody else gets a shepherd. That's who the news comes through. God works in the extraordinary, but he also works in the ordinary. And one of the realities of worship, and we experience it every morning that we're together, and when we serve at Advent Conspiracy, and when we roll up our sleeves and serve in other ways, or even have community and smaller groups together, is that worship deepens in community. Do you realize that all this happens in community? Because there's something special about community. There is a reality of the depth of our intimacy with God that you will not find in any other way, any other means except through community with other Jesus followers. Do you realize that Elizabeth does not break into a song until she's with Mary? Do you know what comes after this passage we look at? Mary breaks into the second worship song of the Christmas story, and it's a beautiful, amazing song that we've looked at in previous years. And that only happens after she talks and celebrates with Elizabeth. There is a dimension of God, an understanding of God, an intimacy of God, a perspective of God that we only discover in community. And so many of you recognize this and get this. But it's one of the many reasons why we constantly invite you, encourage you to get into a smaller community. 
Yes, we absolutely discover and experience God together here, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. We'll come back to that, but we also discover God in smaller communities. That's why communities at Grace are so important. That's why we're inviting you constantly to get into one or to get into another small group community that we have. And I want to speak very carefully but very deliberately to this next reality. Do you realize that two years ago, we did not have the capacity or the ability to have an online community, to have you be able to join us live on a Sunday morning or to listen and take in the service as a recording later on in the week? Because there are a number of folks who are in our online community who simply do not have the option to be here with in-person worship. Their health won't allow them to. Their circumstances won't allow them to. Or as we've found out, there's a number of them living in other states. They can't exactly just get in their car and, and come. There are good and necessary reasons to be experiencing community and online community. However, and I am speaking to you as an online community, there are a number of you, because I know from talking to you and bumping into you in other venues, that you're an online community and it's awfully convenient for you, and of course it is. Get up in the morning, if you're watching the live stream, you know, get in your pajamas, or hopefully you're already in your pajamas, you're in your pajamas and you know, you're eating breakfast and it's awfully convenient and awfully great, and yes, there are times to do that, no question or you're traveling, or just, you know, there's no question that you need to be worshiping online. But there are a number of you who simply have gotten out of the necessary good habit and reality of experiencing in-person worship. And I am unapologetically calling you to search your heart and to do business with this reality that if you can be here, you need to be here. Because there is a dimension of discovering God together and growing together that you will only get to experience if you are in person with real people in a real setting discovering God together. And now please hear me. I'm not dissatisfying those of you who this is your only option. Absolutely, you are to be commended for exploring and receiving community this way. But if you can be an in-person community, if you're not wrestling with health issues or you can do business with whatever concerns you have with COVID, all legitimate reasons to not be here, you need to be here. We need you and you need us because we grow together in community and we extend community. And so, my friends, this brings us to the next reality. And that is, as we see in this beautiful passage, worship deepens in community, but also it leads us to joy and blessing. When we worship Jesus, he gives us a joy and a blessing. And one of the many things I love about this chalk drawing that I got to see before Janine availed herself to begin creating it once again for us this morning is you see in this, this beautiful capturing of the joy of these two women as they realize that God has done the impossible in both their lives. And, and I love I love Janine's gifting to be able to bring this to life for us and I love what that represents because it's true. And just real quickly, I wanna talk about this dynamic of happiness and, and joy. Scripturally, if you look at them grammatically, they're virtually synonymous words. And again, this is, this is me, this isn't necessarily 
from Scripture directly, but I, I do believe applicationally it makes sense to me. But I do think there's a happiness between, excuse me, a difference between happiness and joy. I think happiness, at least in my mind, is situational. There are lots of things that make me happy. But joy is something in my mind that's more enduring than just situational happiness. And you don't create joy, you, you find it. And our life verse as a family is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16 through 18, and I've quoted this to you before, but I love this verse because it is constant perspective for me, even on a day like today. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Does it mean that everything makes me happy? Of course not. Once again, Scripture never tells us we have to pretend things are better than they are. But it does tell me that there is something God promises to give me that is enduring, that is, that is real. And I don't have to let circumstances or other people steal my joy. And again, I want to go back to this example of Elizabeth. She and Mary rightfully are incredibly joyful about what God is doing, but do, do they fully understand the realities of what's coming their way? And we looked at some of that with Mary. Let's look at some of it with Elizabeth. At this point in time, Elizabeth's husband can't talk. Do you remember the story? When God appears to Zachariah and tells him, Elizabeth is going to become pregnant, and, and Zachariah won't believe that, and so he's disciplined by the angel and he can't speak. And presumably at this point, he still is not speaking. Now, some of you as wives, that might sound kinda great, <laughs> depending on the day that your husband can't speak. Maybe that'd be a blessing to Jamie if I went you know, nine months without speaking. But, but the reality is, things are hard. Things have gotta be difficult for Elizabeth with that. Assumably and reasonably, we know pretty confidently they're impoverished, they're dirt poor, and now they're gonna have another mouth to feed. We all know that babies equal sleepless nights, sometimes for weeks, oftentimes for months, and she's old. How is she gonna keep up with a baby? How is an elderly mom, is she going to keep up with a baby? And there are so many of you as grandparents who I've talked with through the years who for whatever reasons in your family, you are the functional parent or you are the parent to your grandkids. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And I've talked to a number of you through the years who have said there is a reason younger people have babies. Because it takes a lot of energy and a lot of effort to keep up with them. Not to mention the uncertainties and the fear and the anxieties that Elizabeth and Mary both have to do business with. You see, they have all these things, Elizabeth in particular has all these things going on in her circumstances, and yet she has joy. That is instructive to me. That speaks volumes to me. Because on the other side of that, in that culture, and it wasn't fair, but it's just how the broken culture really looked at people, was if you were a woman and you were infertile or for whatever reason you couldn't have a baby, it was a you problem. There was tremendous shame that went along with that. And here this amazing God comes along and does the impossible and he removes this cultural shame from, 
from Elizabeth. And it's not just any baby. This is, this is the child that was promised to come in the spirit and power of Elijah. And in her humility, Elizabeth says, who am I that the mother of my Lord would come to me and she blesses Mary. And I think there's something instructive there for us as well. You see, when God blesses us, it's not just to bless us. As wonderful as that is, as good as he is, he does want to bless us to bless us. But when God blesses us, when God does something for ourselves that we can't do for ourselves, he always wants us to turn around and be ready to bless another. And that's why I love Advent Conspiracy. Because the reality is that so many of us have so much and we have the resources to give to others. And so we corporately do that as a church family. And you saw these numbers in the incredible video that Adler produced and showed us earlier in the service. But you guys, this is a lot of joy and this is a lot of blessing. And I'm so grateful for that. And thank you for your generosity with that. You've given your time, you've given these resources, you've given your money to this. And yes, by, till the end of the month, we'll still receive resources for this because the community Christmas party is only a small part of Advent conspiracy. We put clean drinking water in wells all around the world in communities that don't have it. And your resources go to that as well as helping right here in the community. But all that being said, we're blessed to bless. So I'm gonna invite the worship team to come forward. And we're gonna respond to what we've, what we've heard. And the reality that we'll be singing or maybe that you'll be listening to is this reality that God is with us and we need him more than we ever have. How you choose to worship, the expression of your worship this morning is up to you and the Holy Spirit. If you don't feel like singing, you don't have to. If you wanna sit and think and ponder what we've talked about this morning, that is always an acceptable form of worship. If you need to lament, and we all need to do that and to grieve, that's okay too. Those are all legitimate expressions of worship of this one true God. But my friends, however you choose to worship, what we take to the bank this morning, what we anchor ourselves to, is that this God is with us. So let's worship him together. Thank you for joining us for sermon audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.